Welcome to Heart, Soul, and Mind, the podcast from Centenary United Methodist Church. I'm Dr. Glenn Kinkin, Senior Minister here at Centenary. My hope is that this podcast will give you some good news for your journey today. The scripture reading this morning is from the Gospel of Mark, chapter 10, verses 35 through 45, from the New International Version of the Bible. Then James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came to him. Teacher, they said, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. What do you want me to do for you? He asked. They replied, let one of us sit at your right and the other at your left in your glory. You don't know what you're asking. Jesus said, can you drink the cup I drink or be baptized with the baptism I am baptized with? We can, they answered. Jesus said to them, you will drink the cup I drink and be baptized with the baptism I am baptized with. But to sit at my right or left is not for me to grant. These places belong to those for whom they have been prepared. When the 10 heard this, they became indignant with James and John. Jesus called them together and said, you know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be the first shall be the slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served but to serve and to give life as a ransom for many. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks Thanks be to God. Would you pray with me? O Lord, as we gather for worship this morning, we come to praise your name, to hear your word read and proclaimed, and to give of our hearts. And as we do all these things this morning, O Lord, transform our very souls so that we would not just be hearers of your word, but leave this place as doers of your word. In your son's holy name we pray. Amen. So you know the boxer Muhammad Ali, the greatest boxer of the world, as he self-proclaimed, one of the, the best athletes around, but really had a huge ego. His ego sort of would arrive long before he got there, and he thought everyone should bow down and just pay homage to him, that he was the greatest. 
So as the story goes, one day he's taking an airplane flight and of course he, his ego got on the flight long before he got there. As he sits down in his seat, the flight attendant comes through the cabinet, cabin and she says to him, sir, you'll need to buckle your seatbelt. And he looks up at her and he says, Superman don't need no seatbelt. To which she replied back to him, Superman don't need no airplane. <laughs> so think about it. If you're him all of a sudden with all of that bravado and just without missing a beat, she sort of put him in his place. The plane goes on and I'm sure there with his seatbelt fastened, a little mollified, he must have pondered that answer. Something he did not expect to hear, the question that what he threw out there at her, he did not expect that comeback. His self-inflated ego taking a hit with her simple statement, Superman don't need an airplane. In today's text, it's about something very similar, about a question that's being asked, something that's very important and something that's very big and massive and yet the, the answer that Jesus gave to that question was not what anyone expected. James and John, they're there and they sort of brothers conspired a little bit maybe and had this discussion. And one of them, both of them came forward to Jesus and had the gall to ask a question. Jesus, if we ask you something, will you grant it, whatever it may be? And Jesus says, what question do you ask? And they said, will we sit at the right hand or the left hand? Will we sit in the best seats in the kingdom? And the answer that they got from Jesus was not what they expected. They assumed that it would be yes, or they assumed that it would be easy to come up with just because they were the first to ask. And Jesus says, oh, but that is not for me to decide. Now you can imagine in any group dynamic setting, uh, the James and John and the other 10 have been following Jesus around for a year or so now. And they were there, and you can imagine that, wow, dare these two come forward and ask such a question. Maybe they all were thinking, the disciples, each one thinking, which one of us is better? How do we rank in the order of disciples? Who's number one? Who's number 12? But how dare James and John actually ask the question? So the other 10 were over in a corner just having a little kerfuffle, having a conversation about this. Can you believe the gall of those two? Can you believe they asking this question? Can you believe they think they are better than we are? And Jesus sees it all, as we know. Jesus sees everything. As he's answering James and John, he knows the conversation going on over in the wings. And maybe that's something you and I ought to pay attention to, that Jesus sees it all. But in this case, he quickly moves from answering James and John and he calls them all together and he says, let me tell you what this is all about. He settles it all down for him. And the first thing we need to take notice is he never tells James and John or the rest of the disciples that it was a bad thing to want to be the greatest. He never admonishes them that they shouldn't aspire for better. Instead, what he tells them, the secret to being the greatest in the kingdom of heaven is to have a deep abiding relationship with God the greatest, to be the greatest in the kingdom of heaven is to be the servant of all. No, to be the best, to be first, is to be the slave of all. It's not good enough to be a disciple, it's not good enough to be a servant, to be first in the kingdom of heaven, we must be slave to all. 
And then he says, even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve. And so this story provides maybe for us a map, sort of an idea of how we can follow and develop our own discipleship, how we can deepen our own faith. See, if what we're after is a deep abiding relationship with the God who made us who we are, who created us and made us the individuals that each of us finds ourselves, our unique qualities, our unique gifts, if our goal is to have a deep abiding relationship with a God who redeemed us, who saves us from all of our foibles, from all of our faults, from those low places in life, and smooths over our imperfections, if our goal is to have this abiding relationship with a God who guides us every day by the power of the Holy Spirit, then maybe we need to think about what it means to be a disciple, a servant, a follower of the Master. This week, as I have had different interactions on the phone with friends, watching social media, I've noticed it seems like with all of my friend group that children seem to be at the forefront of life right now. I have a dear friend who just welcomed newborns. My cousin's child who's about to turn one is this close to walking. A friend of mine, her daughter, got her driver's license this week. And then my own oldest is turning in college applications. It seems that life has this idea of crawl, walk, and run, doesn't it? All the phases of life, we start very small, easy steps, and we walk a little quicker, and before we know it, we're running through life. I think the same thing is true of our faith. I think our faith has this idea, this map of a crawl, walk, and run nature to it. And then what Jesus is teaching us is that we cannot, we cannot think about this idea of having the prime seat in the kingdom of heaven and it just being handed to us. Instead, we've got to devote our lives to it. We've got to dig deep in our hearts and we've got to devote our lives to it and try to seek the best out of life and out of each other. This idea of taking our faith as crawl, walk, and run really sort of maps what Jesus preached and taught in the text today. The idea of being not just a disciple, but then maybe moving it in a little deeper and being a servant. But yet even moving quickly through the life of just being a servant to being merely a slave to us all. The greater servant to us all. Maybe that's what Jesus really wants us to take away from this conversation. See, a disciple is a follower, it's a student. See, when Jesus gathered the 12 together, he asked them to do two things. He asked them to leave their former life behind. Remember, he went to the, the fishermen, he said, leave your nets, come out of the boat and follow me. Went to Matthew, the tax collector, and said, leave the table behind, leave the accounting books behind, come follow me. But in following, what did he want them to do? He wanted them to listen, to observe, to learn, to devote their lives to the teachings that he was providing. I think the same is true for you and for me. For us to really be disciples, we've got to embrace this idea of a journey. We've got to leave our former lives behind, the things that sort of separate us from God, and leave all that behind and be focused on what it is that God wants for you and for me in our daily lives. We've got to seek this idea of a new relationship by listening, by learning, by observing by digging deeper in our faith and in the teachings that God provides for us. 
I remember in my first appointment, I was fresh out of seminary, 25 years old, armed with an MDiv and a Bible and in my back pocket an economics degree. Not really sure what I was going to do with all of this, but I was there and I went to that first church so excited to be finally doing what God called me to do. And I sat down with a senior minister and he said, I want you to teach a disciple Bible study class. Now, those of you that have taken disciple, you know, this is a 32 week class where you dig deep in the Bible and you wrestle with the text and you try to figure out how it applies to your life and how you can use this and use life experience to understand scripture. And he wants me to teach this. I'm 25 years old. How much life experience have I really had? How much understanding of how the Bible really impacts real life has someone who is just barely out of college, barely out of seminary, barely out of being a teenager, really got figured out? So that first day of the class, I walk in and there on the front row are three women. They're just, they're almost like sisters. They're in their 60s. They've been reading the Bible and studying it much longer than I've been alive. And one of them says to me, we are so excited. We can't wait to see how you teach us the Bible. We want to learn something new and wonderful about it. And I'm thinking, what can I teach you? What can I teach you about God's word that you haven't already figured out? What can I teach you about how it impacts life when you have witnessed so many ages and stages and positions of life? So much history in the room. I quickly looked beyond the front row and the second row. There were some folks that were you know, a little older, sort of maybe in their mid-40s now. Um, I thought, well, maybe we're getting closer to my crowd. And finally, in the back row, there was a woman that was 28, and I thought, they're my people. We get each other. I mean, you're married. I'm barely married, but that's okay. We'll figure this out. But as we spent that time together, as we spent those 32 weeks studying God's Word, sharing what we thought it meant and what we heard and what we saw or how we had experienced it in our lives, we began to understand the 16 of us grew in our faith and grew in our understanding of Scripture in a way that none of us had ever experienced it before. And so as we had embarked upon that journey and had left our fears, had, had left our insecurities, had, had left our basic understandings behind because we wanted to learn new ways, a new depth of faith, we began to figure it out. We had to reach a, a deeper and a richer understanding of faith. We had a, a new way to study, a new way to pray, a new group of folks to share life and the journey of a disciple with. So as I think about this, what Jesus was telling the disciples this morning, calling them to look, to listen, to learn, and to follow, I think the same is true for us in this room. So for this week, here's what I want us to do. This week, I want you to find a piece of scripture. It can be your favorite one. It can be just whichever one you open your Bible to, or you can continue with your weekly reading. But I want you to select one piece of scripture. And every day, here's what I want us to do. I want us to look at that piece of scripture fresh and new every day. Take a new sheet of paper out of the drawer and write down the words that you see that pop out of that scripture. Write those words down and then write underneath it, what do you think God might be calling you to do or what God might be saying to you today through that piece of scripture? And then try to do that or just ponder those words today. Now tomorrow morning, here's what I want you to do. After that, I want you the next morning, I want you to take that same piece of scripture, get a new sheet of paper out and do the same exercise. Are there other words that pop out as you read it again? 
What might be God telling us to do the next day? And do that each and every day with a fresh sheet of paper. And think about the previous day's conversations, the previous day's actions, the previous day's interactions with human beings and with God and the world. And then maybe, just maybe by the end of the week, you'll have the deepest understanding of that passage you've ever had. But what's really cool about it is you'll have a deeper, newer relationship and understanding of what God wants for you each and every day. See, I think that's the walk of the disciple that God wants for us and that Jesus was trying to encourage the disciples to have. But to quickly, as they had that deep understanding of being a disciple, was to be transformed into servants of others. You see, the idea of Christian servanthood is that one that lives their life anew to help others because God's teachings implore us to do that. Because we want to have more out of life. We want to do more than just live, do more than just exist. We want to actually have meaning to what we do. A few weeks back, I was talking to a friend of mine and he said to me, he said, you know, I've been thinking about my life. He said, the first part of my life, I was taken care of. Somebody was taking care of me. The second part of my life, I was taking care of myself. But now in this phase of life, I realize it's important for me to take care of others. See, I think that's that servant's heart. I think that's what God was really, or Jesus was really trying to tell the disciples, that if you want to be great in the kingdom of heaven, you've got to have the servant's heart where you're reaching out to be about something bigger than ourselves, about being a part of God's world and trying to share that goodness. I think it's about noticing the things that break the heart of God. Noticing the things that happen in our world that break the heart of God and trying to do something about it to serve others, to heal those wounds. You see, I think a servant, the type of servant that Jesus was talking about, walks humbly with God, living fully aware of God's teachings each and every day of his or her life. But then Jesus sort of puts the picture all in focus for the disciples and for us. When Jesus says, if you want to be the greatest in the kingdom of heaven, you've got to be servant, no, not servant, slave of all. See, what I think he's talking about is that we've got to be fully owned by the convictions of our hearts, fully owned to live our lives, to love God fully and holistically and without question. Fully owned by our faith and the convictions that God is calling us to do, where we live not for ourselves, but with a deep understanding, a desire to do God's calling each and every day to do God's will, not for ourselves, but for the sake of the world. St. Teresa of Calcutta, she wrote these words. She said, I am but a pencil in the hand of God writing love letters to the world. See, I think that's what God wants for us. God wants for us to be so willing and so yielding our lives and ourselves and so fully devoted to the world around us that we are pencils in the hand of God. Writing a love letter to the world that we know needs it whatever that may be. And see, if we take this idea of being fully devoted to God, fully devoted, what for some people say, oh, that's just second nature to so-and-so. No, no, that's not our second nature. It's our only nature. It's our only nature we reach deep and we live not for ourselves, not for our own aggrandizement, but we live and serve and act 
for the betterment of the entire world. We want to be a part of transforming the world that we see and the world in which we live into the kingdom of heaven that God wants for us. So on that day, James and John took a step forward. They went out on a limb and they asked Jesus the impossible question. They asked and they ruffled the feathers of the rest of their friends and the the disciples, but the answer they got was the answer they didn't expect. They thought there would be just a simple checklist that they could just say, oh, if we do this, if we do that, or maybe just because we were the first to ask, we will get it. But the answer that they got to be the greatest in the kingdom of heaven was this. To be in the seat of honor, to be there, to be in that seat of honor, it's only reserved for those who humble themselves for the sake of the gospel, who yield their lives for the hope of the world, who live their lives for the success of the kingdom of heaven. And see, in that answer, they learned to do that, to be in that seat of greatness, that we've got to crawl, and then we've got to walk, and then we've got to run. We've got to crawl, walk, and run a life of faith. So let us do just that. Let us crawl through life. Let us crawl through a life where we're focused on being a disciple for Christ, learning and listening and observing and trying to figure out how to put our faith together. Let us walk through life where we want to be a servant of the Lord, where we're trying to reach out to our neighbor and we see someone in need and we reach out to them because that's what we're compelled to do. And then finally, let us run. Let us run into the arms of the Christ who loves us, redeems us, sustains us. Let us run into those arms, wholly devoted, wholly convicted by our faith, wholly focused on changing the world simply by the way we live and the followers that we've become. Because that's what God calls us to do. To start crawling, walking, and ultimately running. Fully devoted, fully convicted, fully living for the kingdom of heaven. Amen and amen. Thank you for listening to Heart, Soul, and Mind, the podcast from Centenary United Methodist Church. We hope that you'll consider joining us for worship on Wednesday evenings at 7 o'clock or Sunday mornings at 8.30, 9, or 11. Have a blessed day.